podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. And I'm Imran. Yeah, I say the one-stop shop for all things Manchester United, but this show is going to have a very World Cup focus on it. Uh, we will, of course, talk about all of our United players out there and maybe a couple of other Manchester United-related things that are going on in the world. But this show is very, very much a World Cup special. And yeah, as anyone who listened to the last show will know, myself and Imran are big fans of the World Cup. Um, I mean, look, let's start with England, Imran. You know, the United players have been doing pretty well at this World Cup so far. Uh, And, you know, England have gone through a couple of goals for Marcus Rashford. It's all been going pretty well, right? I mean, well, first off, from a United perspective, extremely well. I think I saw somewhere that only only Barcelona have more goals and assist contributions than United at the moment. So Yeah, I think we're up to 10 uh, with kind of three goals for Rashford. Two goals for Bruno, a couple of assists, one goal for Casemiro and a couple of other assists for Shaw and Maguire. Uh, Barcelona on 11. I mm. think they've got quite a few in that 7-0 route versus Costa Rica because Fernand Torres got a couple of goals assists. Gavi was there and I think uh, our favourite FDJ has scored one as well there. So, yeah, yeah I think uh, they're just ahead of us. But, yeah, we're currently second on the kind of clubs list. And if uh, Ronaldo still play for us, would be... Uh... We'd be high, yeah, we'd be, high as well. we'd be joint top. Yeah, yeah. As I said, we did but, start this tournament with 16 players going, but yeah, we're down to 15 because of Ronaldo. Uh, but yeah, still a decent showing. No, yeah. We, I mean, United players excellent, but England really good. Can't really complain uh, too much about our progression from the group. Progression is top spot, um, especially going into the tournament. Obviously, we talked about how poor our form was. So actually, to turn up at the World Cup and. I mean, you could say perform. I mean, the US, uh, the US game apart, we have performed in the games against Iran and Wales. And a lot of people were actually quite critical of the Wales first half. I was all right with it, you know. I feel it was very controlled. Um, we didn't give Wales an, a sniff, really, until right at the end of the half where Joe Allen had a wild shot. But other than that, we controlled the game totally. It was just about breaking them down and finding the chances. And actually, we did get in behind once with Rashford, who probably he'd have backed himself to score that, I think. Um, and there was another chance as well later on in the half as well. So... You know, I thought there was a lot of criticism, like, oh, it's boring England. But actually, we controlled the game so well. We were on top of them completely. And this is, again, again a Wales side who, I mean, it didn't turn out that way. But going into it, you think, oh, they'll be up for this. They'll want to get in our faces. They'll want to really disrupt things in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it wasn't the case at all. We just controlled the, the entire game, basically. Then the second half came, and we just ran away with it. Three goals, two in quick session. Really good to see Mass Rashford scoring for England. A free kick. I, don't, I can't even remember the last time he's got a free kick, to be honest with you. Um, and then Foden, I don't know if it is that Chelsea one. Has he scored another one it, since then? It, it might well be that Chelsea one. Um, Foden, who people clamouring for, including me, coming in and also scoring, and Rashford getting that third. He could have had a hat trick actually, Rashford. If he, I think if he had, he had a chance right after he scored that second wave, he'd actually laced it like he usually does. He might have scored because you know Danny Ward's a terrible goalkeeper. Uh, but yeah, well, to really, be fair, I did think that Ward actually made a very good save from that early Rashford chance. He was getting a bit. Yeah, of he stick did. To be fair, he did, he did come one, out thought, quite well for that one. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it. I mean, it's it's really good, really positive for England. We've got attackers in form. Our defense looks pretty solid. Um, and now you're looking at a situation where Southgate has to basically choose between Saka, Saka, Sterling, Rashford, and Foden. And then you even got Grealish like lurking around, but I don't think he'd be in for a starting spot. And he's got his options now, and we're going to this Senegal game looking looking pretty good. No, yeah, definitely, it's a good problem for him to have there. Uh... I mean, Rashford, I'm so pleased for him. I mean, this feels like a kind of redemption arc for him because, uh, you know, a lot of his troubles did start with those Euros um, back then, uh, you know, with missing the penalty. He'd gone to that Euros with injury, which I think was a mistake in hindsight. And then after he came back from surgery after that injury, he had a pretty terrible season. And, you know, a lot of United fans and England fans are writing him off. But to see him come back, he's had been in decent form for United. And now to be hitting it for England is brilliant. 
you know, three goals so far for him. And yeah, I was watching this England game at somebody's house. There was quite a few Liverpool fans, a couple of Arsenal fans, and they were giving Marcus Rashford a lot of stick when he missed that kind of early chance. Although, like I said, I was saying, no, no, that's a good save. It's not a bad miss. So yeah. And then when he stepped up to take that free kick, there was literally saying, oh, you know, surely we've got a better free kick taker than Marcus Rashford. And then, yeah, he smashed it in quite perfectly. Uh, And then, yeah, it was interesting as well to see him score that second one from the right side because we always chat a lot about Marcus Rashford on the left, Marcus Rashford on the right. Uh, You know, I've always said he's a lot, lot better on the left side, but he does score that from coming in from the right. And Southgate kind of switched them around a bit as he was doing a few subs and changing things around a bit mid-match. But yeah, look, we have to be happy with that. As I say, pre this tournament, I was not super, super confident at all about England. Uh, So yeah, the way it's gone, we can't really complain at all. And uh, the only thing to see now is whether we turn it around on Sunday against Senegal. Mm. Well, Rashford on the right. I don't know. It's weird. Sometimes he actually does look decent. Even I'm, I'm with you. I always agree with Rashford on the left is a much better player. But then there was times on the right, even when he was in his paw patch, where he put in great, some great crosses with his right foot because sometimes Rashford plays really good passes with his right foot. I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and that one just cut inside. And he's actually scored two goals with his left foot now at the World Cup. So maybe it's something he's worked on. I don't know, but he's a, a man just in confidence and it shows. And actually, if you think he is really England's only pacey threat up top, really. Um, you don't, Sterling doesn't run in behind. Saka is quick, but he doesn't really play on the last line. He's more of a skillful player. Same with Grealish and Foden's a bit of everything. Um, whereas you look at like France, you've got Mbappe stretching the play and other teams with really quick attackers. And that's really only Rashford for England. And he, he showed that in the first goal, playing on, the, uh, sorry, the first chance playing on the, the side of the striker and Kane played that lovely pass in. Kind of give you a feeling of what Kane could do if he played for a United. Just uh, put, floating that one into the world. Um, and then, yeah, uh, so it's, it's a valuable asset for, for England, definitely. And I think Southgate realises that. And I, People were always like, oh, will Rashford go to the World Cup? I'm not sure. I was like, if, if, if Rashford gives Southgate any excuse to pick him, he will, because Southgate's been a massive fan of Rashford, massive champion him for ages, and he just needed an excuse to pick him, and he's got that, and he's, he's paying off. Uh, Senegal will be a hard, hard opposition, though, I think. Uh, much better than any of the teams we've played so far, I think. Maybe, probably a little bit better than the USA, but other than that, they're much better than Iran and Wales, and they'll prove a, a, prove a tricky, tricky contest. Champions of Africa for a reason. I think they are. I mean, people say, oh, they're just Mane, but they're, they're, they're a solid team away from Mane with a lot of seasoned players. Um, and yeah, it's going to be it's going to be going to be a difficult game. Yeah, and uh, I don't think we've ever played them before. Uh, not in a competitive game, that's for sure. And like like you said, pre-tournament, people are saying, what are they going to do without Mane? But I was a bit worried about them as well because their first game they weren't great at all. But then yeah, they did turn it all around after that and managed to qualify. I actually thought Ecuador would come through that group from the what I'd seen so far. So I thought Senegal did well to win that game and uh, come out the group over there. Um, I mean, it was a very good game, that, to be fair. Uh, close, but I think Senegal actually showed quite a lot of reserves to come back. Where they won a up and then Ecuador scored. And you thought, oh, that might be it for them. And they, they, they fired straight back. One good thing is that uh, Idrissa Ganagay is suspended. And he's like the heartbeat of their midfield. So that's probably a good thing. Uh, Ismail Assad's looking pretty decent for them, though. So got to be worried for him. And then um, they do have, you know, Kulabai at the back. That's, and Diallo, that's a quality defence. So I don't think it's going to be a breeze. No, as you say, champions of Africa. And I think they've even been in the final a couple of times before that and finally won it in the last one. So, yeah, definitely a decent team and will be our biggest test so far. Uh, I think on the last show, we gave our kind of predictions and we were both talking about England around the quarterfinals. It's looking like it will end up being France, you assume. Mm. But, yeah, at the moment in this World Cup, we can't assume anything. But that's the way it's looking. Uh, are you still sticking with that quarterfinal or are you feeling a bit more confident now? I mean, France looked very good, it has to be said. I know they lost to Tunisia, but it was pretty much a changed team. Um, yeah, they made v- nine changes. The only, yeah. in fact, Varane was one of the few stayed in. And he needed uh, fitness, really, didn't he? That was why he stayed in. He did miss the first game, so he's not played every match. So I guess that's why he gave him that second game. But it was a fully changed team. And I was wondering, actually, if the likes of Mbappe were upset about that, because, you know, he might think about going for the golden boot and that maybe that Tunisia game could have been one for him mm. to score a couple in. But all right, Deschamps has gone with resting everybody. I actually feel like, especially in World Cup tournaments, in World Cup squads, you kind of feel, it comes to me on his vibe anyway, that players are more happy for other players in the squad. And there's a lot more like, 
happiness in the squad when someone's getting subbed on, when someone's scoring a goal. It's, it seems less competitive unless your name's Ronaldo. So, you know, I, f- I feel like he'll be fine with it and helping his French teammates get a, a bit of a chance to shine as well. Yeah, well, yeah, you mentioned Ronaldo. So, of course, we have to talk about him trying to claim that goal. <laughs> Hilarious. Uh, two goals went down for Bruno in the end, but Ronaldo was adamant that he scored it. Uh, I mean, oh, that's what he's all about. Like I say, we've talked about him so much. We know it's all about his ego. He's a full-on narcissist. He wants every little goal the strikers do. Uh, he does still, he has hit a record, hasn't he, for yep. scoring at... Is it five World Cups in five, a row. Yeah. From the, so, as yeah. he scored the penalty uh, when we last recorded, actually. Um, funny though, I just I love the fact that we now have snicker meat, snip the snicker meter in football. We had it in cricket for LBWs, and now we've uh, um, now we've got it in football. Fant- oh well, catches behind usually in uh, our LBWs in cricket, but yeah, great that it's in football now. Did you see that? What? No, I don't know. Oh, so snicker meter in for those, those of you who don't know, snicker meter in cricket is when for LBW they need to find out whether the ball's hit the pad or the bat, and they'll usually ro- roll the ball really slowly past the bat, and they'll have sound waves because there's sensors and they can see whether the ball's actually hit the bat or hit the pad or what by the sound it makes. And now they've got sensors in the ball. They can actually tell when the ball has been hit by something or struck something. So they played it slowly going past Ronaldo's head and the soundbar didn't move at all. And then it did move when it hit the floor. So obviously it definitely categorically 100% did not hit his head. Okay, interesting. No, I missed that. I missed that. And uh, not being much of a cricket fan, I didn't know about that either. So all right, thanks. But yeah, you're talking about the fact that there is like a chip in this ball now, basically, isn't there? There's sensors in this ball, so it knows when it's hit something. um, And it did not hit Ronaldo's head. Um, Funny. It is funny. Um, without looking at the, the narcissistic nature of it all. I mean, Bruno was pretty magnanimous as well, saying, oh, I don't care if it's Ronaldo's goal. And really, you kind of hope that Ronaldo would turn around and say, I don't care if it's my goal or Bruno's or whatever. But obviously, he's not that kind of player. But that's why he's got so many goals, I guess, because he wants them all. Yeah, no, and we have seen similar, that kind of thing. There was a Harry Kane goal a couple of seasons ago where there's a lot of controversy where he touched it or not. And look, those kind of strikers, they do want to claim every little bit. So yeah, you do see that going over there. I mean, yeah, I will just mention that we are recording this just before the last round of group games finishes. Uh, So last night we did have a crazy session with Japan, Spain, Germany and Costa Rica all going at it. Uh, So today just before we're recording, we will later on be the Brazil and Portugal groups going out. So yeah, mm. we've not had all of our players play their full round of group games yet. Uh, so yeah, there may still be a few more goals coming in for the likes of Bruno and maybe even Casemiro. I mean, he scored an absolutely beauty for Brazil, didn't he? I, I would suggest Casemiro will probably get rested for Brazil. Um, they've full, they're through now completely. You'd imagine they'll rotate against Cameroon. Um, but yeah, he was he was brilliant for Brazil that game clear man of the match he's been brilliant actually in the first in both both two games for brazil um and just kind of like right we're not going to go we're not going to score i'm going to go through it don't forward and do it myself yeah it's a good deflection but the technique on the strike i mean we saw we've seen him hit a few sweet ones for us so far and not gone in they've been very close he hit the bar once and that the one against who were at home against where he hit one and he whistled past the post anyway a team um so yeah he can hit a ball um, yeah, he did get a bit of a lucky deflection on it, but it was still a very. I think he was still going to. I think he might have even gone in, or at least it was definitely going to trouble the keeper. Um, yeah, yeah, it was on target. It was yeah. on target. Whether it would have gone in or not, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's actually one part of Casemiro's play that I wasn't expecting. The amount of kind of shots he's had on target and everything. We all knew that he was a brilliant kind of defensive player and does all the defensive hard work. But since he's been at us, I've been very impressed. One by his passing. Yeah, which the has passing is. Been better than I expected, even though I knew he was a decent passer. I knew he was going to be better than like Fred or something like that. But uh, his passing is outstanding and has made a big, big difference to our play. Uh, and yeah, I saw an article from, uh, it was Gilberto Silva, the old Arsenal Brazil World Cup winner and midfielder. And he said Casemiro is our most uh, important player. Um, it was really talking him up mm. a lot. Uh, so yeah, look, it's great that we have that player well, in our I mean- team. Neymar called him the best midfielder in the world for the last five years or something like that. So, I mean, they, they love him in Brazil. Um, I knew I knew he could hit a ball to perfect. He, he did score that one in the Champions League final. Uh, it was like a bobbling half volley that he smashed in from about 20, 20, 30 yards. So I knew he could hit a ball, but his, his passing has definitely impressed me. There was a pass he played to Neymar, I think it was in the first game, that was just unbelievable. Um, skill, control on it drilled it right into his feet. It's really great pass. So his passing has impressed me a lot. Absolutely. I mean, Brazil are still the current favourites for winning the whole thing. They were 
my pre-match bet and I have got money on them to win the tournament, in fact. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see how they go tonight. I mean, which other team has impressed you? If you had to put money on somebody, I know you're not a betting man, but if you had to pick out who's your winner right now, who are you going for? Well, my original pick was Spain before the World Cup, and then yeah, they you won, did tip them, and then, then they, they won seven nil, and then I was like, last night. "Fantastic, this is great." And then last night, see, I can't tell last night whether they knew that they were fine with a two-one loss. Once I can't, if they, if, as soon as they knew Germany were three two up, they probably thought, okay, we're, we're good now. So I, I can't tell whether they were actually pushing for a, a goal or that's just they were just kind of fake pushing for a goal because they were just passing it around and really there was no penetrativeness to their play at all. Um, I don't think that Japan meet. I think Japan keep had one save and it wasn't even that much of a a save really. So they didn't really do anything in the last twenty minutes of that game. I think they were pretty content with finishing second and playing what will be Morocco now. Um, but Spain were my tip. I still fancy. I feel they uh, they do exert quite a lot of control on games, um, despite that mad start against Japan. Um, gotta say, England are looking impressive. We are France as well. I thought France would be in disarray. They're not. Uh, but you, I mean, you'd, you'd put it between those those teams for winning it. Yeah, but Argentina, Portugal. No, I don't think Argentina. I think Argentina are just messy, basically. They rely on him so. I don't think there's a player under more pressure in the world than Lionel Messi. He's basically he is the whole nation's hopes is on him. And I mean, Argentina have a decent team, but it's very much all about Messi. Whereas something like say Brazil, okay, they've got Neymar, but they are they're a, they're a decent team around them. Um, France and Mbappe, but again, a decent team around him. Whereas Argentina, I think it's a good team. I don't I don't know if it's a, the best team, uh, and it's all on him. And I I, I don't think there'll be, it'll be enough for them. And then. Um, who else did you say? Portugal. Portugal. Ronaldo's going to get in the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, Argentina, I would say I was pretty surprised that in their last game, they reverted to Otamendi and Romero and left our star man, uh, Lissandro Martinez, I on the bench. I think that might also cost them as well. Well, he, look, he didn't start in the first game. They lost. He came in in the second game. They won, kept a clean sheet. So, yeah, I was very, very surprised to see him left out in that last game. Uh, it was Argentina-Poland. And I think, Poland have been like the worst team who've made it through for me. Awful. I mean, they've done so little. And in that game, they were so lucky uh, to pit Mexico, basically. And that was a weird one. It has been like, you know, there was a thread on Red Cafe after like the first round of games saying, is this the worst World Cup ever? And I didn't think it was, but I could understand why the thread had gone up because there'd been a lot of nil-nils and a few cagey games. But I think people seem to forget that every World Cup goes like this. And it's not until the kind of second and especially the third round of group games where teams are fighting for their lives that things really kick in gear. We've then had like two absolutely classic nights of football where, you know, the two games go on at the same time and it's changing all the way through with every goal. I mean, in that... Poland kind of Mexico battle. I think at one point it was going to yellow cards, basically. Yeah, it was. Um, in the end, there was um, Saudi Arabia scored a goal against Mexico. So yeah, it didn't make it on that. But yeah, that what the only thing that was going to separate Mexico and Poland at that point was the yellow card record, which is pretty crazy. And then last night in the Spain, Germany, uh, Japan and Costa Rica, I, uh, all through that game, it was changed. There was even one point, I think it was only about five minutes where Japan and Costa Rica were going through and that would have been the absolute dream. Uh, but yeah, in the end, it's ended up with Japan top of that group <coughs> and um, Spain second. I mean, as I'd mentioned on my on the last show, my second kind of team is Morocco. And I'm absolutely ecstatic to see them through. Uh, they've topped their group, but I think they've been pretty unlucky that they're going to end up playing Spain after winning the group. I mean, it must be We'll see how the last two groups play out. But I think Spain will be by far the strongest second place team in any oh, of these groups. Yeah, they, well, they will be now because Portugal and Brazil are definitely top of that. Well, no, they're definitely, are, are they? they? But Not definitely, but most likely. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's unlucky for Morocco, but I have been impressed by them. I think they're, they've showed up quite well, uh, looking very strong in games. They've got a good team, actually. If you look at their team on paper, it's actually pretty decent. Well, I did um, say that, you know, I said on a lot of people didn't realise, but especially their defence, as I say, uh, you know, Hakimi from PSG, they've got uh, Mazraoui from Bayern Munich, and then Saiz, who's got Premier League experience, and Aguard as well, uh, who actually, their only goal has been an own goal off mm. them. Otherwise, there's clean sheets all the way through. I knew their defence was going to be brilliant. Uh, you're protected as well by Amrabat in front of them. But I Amrabat's was worried. been fantastic. He has, sitting over there. Um, he used to play for Watford, of course. but. Um, 
up front, I was worried about them, but they've managed to get the goals. Obviously, you know, the likes of Ziyech is the one they're looking for. Uh, El Nesri did get one. I think he plays for Sevilla, but not that regularly, kind of. But yeah, most of their players have got kind of top-level European league experience, whether it's in England, Spain, Mm. France, uh, a couple of other kind of Dutch heritage players as well. And yeah, they've done damn well there. I mean, it's the best performance by an African team in the World Cup ever, like seven points out the group stage. There has been a couple of other African teams who've topped their groups. It's only one, isn't it? it, Oh, no, it's the first since Nigeria in 98. Yeah, I think Nigeria did. um, I think maybe Senegal did, but I might, might be wrong on that. Uh, I think um, from there, but yeah, it's not been many, you know, African team in the last 2018 World Cup, no African team made it out of the group stage. And yeah. we've already got two through there with Senegal and Morocco. Hope- and there is hopefully still... Ghana today. Well, that's it. Still a shout for Ghana and even Cameroon aren't totally mm. out of it. But yeah, uh, going to find it difficult and more kind of apt to this World Cup. You know, it's the first ever Arab World Cup. Uh, Morocco are one of the Arab teams there. Uh, Saudi Arabia, although they have a good start, have gone out. Qatar, I think, win the wooden spoon for worst team of the tournament. Uh, well, no, yeah, only Qatar and Canada have ended up on zero yeah, points. And Canada but... actually were competitive in at least two of their games. So yeah. Qatar were not competitive. They're definitely the worst side. On on it's interesting on the on the on the worst best World Cup debate. It's it's a, there's more of a microscope on World Cup games, especially because you watch every game. And but if you watched every single Premier League game from a weekend. Some of the, some of them will be absolutely dog shit. Um, if you watch every single Champions League group game, some of them will be absolutely terrible. Um, so it's just because there's a you literally watch every single game for ninety minutes. So the, the the bad games stand out, but there's been a, and I mean I think we can safely say now that this definitely has not been the worst World Cup, and especially over the last few nights, it's been absolutely cracking. So yeah. These things don't it have to be measured in best and best and worst. Sometimes well, they're look, just good. It's early days yet, but I'd say just based off how the group stage has gone, that from my memories, it's got a shout for being mm. one of the best World Cups ever. But look, we won't, we'll talk about that after it's all finished. Probably. I mean, it's, in, it's interesting though, because that, so we get these, this is where we're in this, um, this bit about the groups going head to head and the last day, match day three, and that'll be out of it for the next World Cup because there's only going to be team groups of three. So you're not mm. going to have that match day head to head. But apparently FIFA are reconsidering that now because they realise that actually this is where the tournament really lights up. And if you have groups of three, then you're going to have issues where what if each team wins one game uh, or if one team wins and then the other teams... If, if the top team win both their games and the other team draw against each other. So I think groups of three just... I think they've done it in one World Cup before and it really didn't work and they scrapped it after that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they scrap, scrap it and go for groups of four with the third best third places. I can, I can see that happening. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know, the next World Cup, uh, which is going to be in USA, Mexico, and Canada, um, like the complete opposite to this Qatar World Cup, which is all taking place within like a one-hour <laughs> radius, basically. They've basically gone for virtually a whole continent. Uh, it's going to get expanded from 32 to 48 teams. And yeah, there's quite a lot of discussion about that. But yeah, we will chat on that ourselves later. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. And yeah, we'll come back with all sorts of more World Cup news after that break. And yeah, we are back, obviously, as we said, focusing on the World Cup. Uh, we had a quick chat about, is was this the worst, the best World Cup? I say it's too early for that shout yet, but it's undoubtedly not the worst World Cup ever. Uh, I think it is, even though we're not quite finished the group stage, I think, yeah, it's a kind of nice moment to throw out a few shouts. So I'm going to give you a few to go for. I mean, who's been your best standout player so far? So standout player, you'd have to say there's a top four, I think. Of, and it's hard when you're United fan. You've got United specs on, uh, so two of them are United players. So Bruno has been man of the match in both Portugal's games and vital for them going through. He's been excellent, especially against uh, Uruguay. He was everywhere. Um, got the two goals uh, in the game before um, against Ghana. He got both assists for the, the two goals that made the difference as well. It just a, he's been really turned up for Portugal this tournament. Uh, Casemiro for Brazil, like we said been really solid in the middle of that pitch uh, often he's doing all the work himself as well so it's been excellent and then you've got the other two the other two were a bit Mbappe for France obviously massive difference to them just threatening behind I think he's the player with the most who's, who's had the most chances or create like most chance to fall to him just because of his pace and running in behind and then Gakpo who has flitted in and out of games a bit for Netherlands but the Netherlands are a great team and he has 
scored one goal in every game, so you've got to put him up there. Um, so they'll be the four. And then I've got a bunch of players who I'd give an honourable mention to. Mohamed Kudus for Ghana has been a really good, young, exciting talent. That he was at Ajax uh, when Ten Hag was there. You think Ten Hag would know about him if he wants to bring him to United? I won't be against that. Tyler Adams, uh, Leeds player Tyler Adams, so hates me to say, but he has been fantastic for USA. Um, it cost them 23 million, I think, came in the summer. And I was talking to a Leeds friend of mine. He says that he's their best player by far. And you can tell he's been terrific. Uh, you got a shout out for Harry Maguire, who came into the tournament with a lot of stick, but arguably has been England's most consistent player over the, over the three games. If you include the USA game, which was drab, he was our only good player. A uh, couple more for you. Uh, Gvardiol, that's how yeah. you pronounce it, isn't it? Um, again, 20 year old centre back. Yesterday, putting some incredible last-minute tackles for Croatia. Um, looks really mature and comfortable on the ball for a 20-year-old. He'll go for a lot of money. Uh, the whole Moroccan defence, uh, including Amrabat, would have to be in there. Hakimi Saiz, Amrabat, brilliant. And then Chesney. you got to hand it to Chesney to be fair. Uh, Poland yeah, have been two terrible. two penalty saves. Two right? penalty and... saves. One of them from Messi, a cracking save, and basically just kept him in it. And then the last one, the, um, Junior Ito. Who's the right wing back for Japan? He is up and down that right wing back like anyone's business. Apparently, he plays right wing for uh, for Rennes in France, but he's been right wing back for Japan. And he's just been constant up and down that right wing. So they're, they're, they're all my uh, notable mentions. But it's got to be Mbappe, Casemiro, Bruno, Gakpo. So you you can pick the number one from them. Yeah, I'm definitely taking Gakpo out. I mean, I know he scored a few goals there. And so deserves a kind of mention, but I don't think he's anywhere near the actual performance level of those other three. Uh, I mean, I'd written down only two names. I'd written down Bruno and Mbappe. Uh, and being completely biased Manchester United fan, I'm going to pick out Bruno there. And especially since he's not even played his third game yet, that will happen later on today. So yeah, let's see how he does there. Mbappe did not play the third game at all. But yeah, he had been outstanding. France have actually smashed all the stats on this. Uh, on, for the redcafe.net listeners, I did start a kind of World Cup stats thread because I like my stats. And uh, it was also easy for me to then keep hold of things for doing this podcast to put them all in one place. But yeah, if you look on there, I've thrown up XG and France have smashed it. They've done made more chances than anybody else in the tournament so far. Uh, they also were one of the best defences in terms of XG conceded. They weren't the best. Brazil, Croatia, Argentina and Spain had actually given away less chances. Although I will say that was after the first two matches. I mean, so, yeah. I mean after Belgium yesterday, you'd imagine... I mean, Romelu Lukaku had XG of two just for himself yeah, yesterday. Yeah, this was so after imagine... two matches. So yeah, yeah, it's not updated for the third round of games yet. But yeah, France's stats have looked very impressive so far, better than anybody else on stats-wise. So yeah, we'll see how they roll on there. But yeah, look, I'm picking out Bruno. But yeah, Mbappe definitely deserves big kudos. For one one interesting stat, Germany got a 6.5 XG against uh, Costa Rica yesterday. I don't think I've ever seen a team have a 6.5 XG. Even when teams win like 9-0, they usually get like a 5 or something. So it's quite impressive that. Oh, it is. I mean, they needed it. But yeah, I mean, I I know actually a couple of people I know had said this Germany team are going to struggle. Well, maybe not that surprised. Whereas I'm always like, whatever Germany do pre-tournament goes out the window because I'm always used to them turning it on in a tournament. But it's now two tournaments in a row where they go out of the group stage. Uh, you know, this is the kind of way we England fans used to be used to failing miserably. And it wasn't really a German thing. But yeah, yeah, they're like quite struggling internationally at the moment. Yeah, and they were, they were my sweepstake team as well. Um, so I'm at my good sweepstake team, because we, we, we had 16 of us, so we had a good... Top, each of us got one of the top 16, one of the bottom 16. My top 16 is, was Germany, and they're out. And my bottom 16 team was Morocco, and they're in. So my, 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 my bad team are doing better than my good team. But um, it's interesting for Germany. They've got a lot of talent in there, like Musilera is good, um, Sane, um, Havertz. I'm not even sure if Havertz is any good. I can't decide. Sometimes he's shit, sometimes he's all right. Did you uh, well, you mentioned Havertz? Did you see his man of the match yeah, photo? Oh, so funny. <laughs> imagine having that conversation with him. Um, but yeah, you, you would imagine there'd be a big inquest. But I think some will come out of the team now. You wonder if no, that might be Neuer's last World Cup. Um, they need to find a striker from somewhere, like a proper striker. Um, Although yeah, that one. What's his name? Full whatever. Full crook. Man- yeah, he has managed to score a few for them. Uh, so yeah, he was doing. It wasn't down to him really. He, he was playing like. Bundesliga B last season or something like that. Um, so his only emergence has like literally only been like these last year, this last year or so. So, yeah. 
was actually reading about this Japan team that obviously won that group, that about four or five of them play in Germany. Yeah. And uh, one of them, I think, as well, is in Bundesliga B. Uh, but yeah, it's turning it on over here. So yeah, fair play to them. And you know, you're seeing that Japan team, the players we know from the Premier League, like Tomiyasu Minamino, not actually being in the team, although mm. I think Tomiyasu is down to injury. So yeah, it's all about their kind of team solidity going on there and doing pretty well. I mean, the other major, major disappointment of this tournament, and yeah, more relevant to our United fans, has been Denmark, being one of the most worst teams in the whole thing one point and that was a nil nil with Tunisia only one goal out of three games uh Christian Eriksen was kind of semi-captain I think it was also Kiar for some games but that armband uh, switched around but they were absolutely awful um and Eriksen will now be coming home the only other one is Hannibal although he's at Birmingham City anyway uh there might be Palestri who goes out as well but the rest of our United players look like they're going on to the knockout rounds I'm not sure what exactly will happen with the likes of Ericsson, whether he'll be expected to go and join up in Spain. I'm he'll, sure get he'll, break, get he'll get he'll a break. He'll definitely get a break, but there's like there's three weeks still till we play our next game against mm. Burnley, which is the 21st. I imagine he'll play in that game. I think he'll he'll have like a week or two break and then he'll come back for a week and then probably play against Burnley, you'd imagine. Yeah, it's not been clear. Ten Hag hasn't really said. So yeah, we'll see how it goes over there. Uh, but yeah, the rest of our... 13 players probably are going on to the knockouts. I say the only one who's probably still in the balance is Palestri. Uh, so we'll see how Uruguay get on tonight. But look, back back to the best moments of the tournament. I mean, which was being your favourite match so far? So there was that day, there was that morning where there was Serbia 3, Cameroon 3 and, and then South Korea 2, Ghana 3 straight afterwards. And they were both terrific games. The South Korea-Ghana one especially was a, was a cracking game. Really enjoyed those. Um, and then, I mean, you have to look at the last two nights, don't you, really? Well, obviously there was the so for, there was the upsets of Saudi and the RGs and uh, Japan and Germany. They were some. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was kind of a shame after that upset that Saudi have then gone out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I talked about this being an Arab World Cup. There's four Arab teams, which was obviously Qatar, Saudi, Morocco, and Tunisia. But yeah, one of them have kept going to keep the kind of Arab interest in their home World Cup. But yeah, Saudi did that. Thankfully, Japan at one point looked like they did that big upset against Germany and were going to go out as well, but they turned it around and can march on there. Um, I mean, Tunisia did beat France, but it wasn't that much of an upset because, like you said, it was like a France kind of reserve and that, team. And the last goal probably should have stood. Um, but actually, that, I've, I actually thought the best, best game has been Saudi-Mexico from the other night. There was like, because like, while the other team, other games, like first half was a bit, uh, in both those upset games, the Japan game and the Saudi game, that the Argentina and Germany controlled the first half in both those games. Whereas the Saudi-Mexico game, it was about 100 mile per hour for the entire game. Um, it was just frantic end-to-end. And then once Mexico actually started getting control and realised he had to score goals, it was just, again, attack after attack. And there was, you, like, you had the stakes going into it of, you know what they needed to do. They needed to just get one more goal, but they couldn't concede a goal. It was excellent viewing, really. I mean, like I said, this bit of the World Cup, when it's two games going on at the same time, you can't beat it for drama and excitement. No, absolutely. And like I say, maybe it's recency bias, but last night, as the battle went through with Japan, Spain, Germany, and Costa Rica, that was my favourite kind of part so far. I mean, also, yeah. as I say, uh, liked England's bits, but yeah, a bit of bias for Morocco beating Belgium as well. Definitely need to give them a shout over there. I mean, Belgium have been another kind of disappointment of this tournament. Maybe not as surprising, because when you look at the fact that they're lining up with Alderweireld and Vertonghen, who were like way past it like three years ago, still churning out Eden Hazard. I don't know when he, how many matches he's played this season. Not many, that's for sure. And then hoping to rely on the likes of Lukaku to come in. I mean, I also I felt a little bit sad for Lukaku yesterday. I think, you know, a past times I've probably been guilty as well of having a bit of laugh of him after he left us for missing goals here and there but yesterday I did feel like slightly bad for him because of the amount of just stick he's taking I think you can you can feel but you can think it can be both you can feel really sorry for him because it's gonna that that will eat him up I imagine that kind of sending your country out of the world cup in that manner and you missing those chances but also at the same time it is it is very funny (laughs) it's very funny (laughs) <laughs> so it, it, I think it can be both, and obviously, like it's a bit bad when people take abuse a bit too far, and you know, you've got you've all got to be a bit tongue in cheek, um, and then and then people say, oh well, Lukaku gives it the big one all the time, and he does get it. He, I mean, he's a footballer; he's going to be very confident himself. But you got to take everything with a pinch of salt. But it is funny, especially that, that last miss was just unbelievable. And uh, yeah, he's not match fit, but there's only so far that not being match fit can take you to missing 
four open goals. Yeah, so yeah, and apparently, you know, pre-tournament, they were supposedly the second best team based on FIFA rankings. I mean, we won't talk too much about FIFA rankings. We know they're very flawed, but they are still based on something. Uh, but I don't think anybody was really tipping Belgium to win this tournament. I think they knew they were mm. past their best and their kind of golden generation was on its last legs for sure. Uh, you know, their best chances were probably four years ago and two years ago and they didn't do it then um but yeah so you've thrown out your favorite okay mexico saudi game over there i mean yeah, yeah i was sad to see mexico go out and in fact, i was those especially because the fans were excellent yeah, I was in that, say, game. that was like, the best atmosphere so far was the saudi mexico game that really helped as well definitely i mean again in the stats thread i've thrown out i was surprised to see some of these numbers of the 10 countries that have sent the most fans to this tournament I mean, number one is obviously Qatar as the home country, but like number two is USA. Uh, Number three was, I think it's actually UK. But then, yeah, Mexico and Saudi Arabia make that Mm. kind of top five. And those two teams are going out. I mean, I'm sure some of their fans will still be hanging around and not just getting on the first plane back. But yeah, it's sad when you see that. I agree with you. That was the best atmosphere just because both of those countries had bought so many fans. I was so invested in Mexico scoring as well by the end, especially because Poland was so bad. So bad. I actually, I was actually annoyed at Argentina for not scoring a third because they really should have done. They had multiple golden chances. So yeah, it's it's sad that they're going on. That I'd say my favorite moment though was that five minutes yesterday when uh, Japan and Costa Rica were both going through. Was an incredible five minutes of just like what is what is happening right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would have been the dream for those two to go through. And as I say, especially as I have a vested interest in Morocco, as do you, as being your sweepstake team, that um, Morocco were going to play the team who came second out of that group. Uh, And if it could have been Costa Rica, that obviously would have been brilliant compared to at one point it being Germany, one point it being Spain. And I probably would have fancied them a bit against Germany, but not so much against Spain. I mean, I don't think they'll have a good go and it'll be a great game, but I would still expect Spain to ultimately come through that. Uh, but the but thing yeah, about look, that is, so if, if Morocco win that game, then you play Port- Portugal or whoever comes second in the Brazil group. So you'd imagine Portugal. And, you know, Portugal, not the best team in the world. You can, you can get a result against Portugal, I think. So either, I mean, for Spain, it actually does, it helps them finish in second because they get an easier route. But then you have to play France in the, the semis or France or England. And but then again, we're saying all this now. There will be upsets along the way. Yeah, um, there will be. Think, that's what we love, you know. Yeah. That's what the World Cup's all about. Uh, it has also been nice that every continent has got a representative going into the knockouts. Yep. Uh, including Australia, which I know are in Asia, but yeah, they're kind of still representing Oceania in a way, I guess. Uh, so yeah, every continent is represented there. Like, oh, so your last shout now, Imran, which is your best goal of the tournament so far? Uh, so honourable mentions to Big Mitrovic for his team goal. Serbia's third goal against uh, Cameroon was excellent. Nice team goal. Um, and then, so there's the top two. Oh, the, I've got another honourable mention, actually. It was Mohamed Kudus for, against South Korea because there was a cross from Ayu in that game, which generally looked like David Beckham inhabited Jordan Ayu for two seconds. And he put in one of the best crosses I think I've seen for a long time. Uh, so I've got, they're, they're my honourable shouts. But then you've got to look at Richarlison's goal and then Luis Chavez's free kick for Mexico and I'm going to give it to Chavez because Richarlison's goal excellent though it was that first touch is awful it's an awful first touch and no, no one will convince me otherwise that it's not an awful first touch that he is therefore rescued and so it was a hard ball to control so I'm not like it's not like oh it's an easy ball to control it's just like he's tried to control it. it's gone up in the air and he's reacted really well and fair enough it's a good reaction but yeah it's a bit of a element of luck to it but it was an excellent goal but then Luis Chavez's free kick was fantastic so I'll give it to I'll give it to Chavez well, I'd, I'd written down Richarlison as well. As I said, we haven't conferred on this at all. We've written down our own kind of bits and bobs. And yeah, we are coming out with the same things, thankfully. And then, all right, maybe it's Manchester United bias, but I'm actually picking Marcus Rashford's free kick. No, it's uh, poor, keep, poor keeping at the end of the day. I feel, I feel, I feel when it first went in, you mean, that was excellent. Then you look at it again and Danny Ward is literally all over the place. He sets up his wall, then he sets that stand in the middle of his goal. Anyway, then he takes a step to the right. Um, it didn't even go in the top left corner, like, unlike uh, Chavez's free kick, which was from much further out and absolutely hammered it. So that would be the number one. But it's actually it's surprising how fewer great like sh- smashes from outside the area have been. I think there's only been like four or five goals from outside the area and a lot like Messi's goal was outside the area. The Iranian goal was outside the area. Again, question marks over Danny Ward's keeping for the Iranian goal, even though it was in the last minute. And that was another great goal. But 
Um, yeah, I, we I, we were talking about this before on the group as well. How you get you get less and less long range goals these days, it seems. So just carrying on that trend, I guess. I think less teams take shots from long range. I've seen quite a lot of stats actually, uh, not particularly World Cup related, but it was actually Premier League stats looking at how certain statistics have changed over the last ten years. And basically, we're saying that a lot less teams are taking long range shots. Uh, maybe managers are trying to focus on creating better chances than just smashing it from far. Uh, so there is definitely been a trend in coaching, I think, of telling players you may be wasting opportunities by taking a long-range shot. And there is, there's less long-range shooting, that's for sure. So obviously that results in less long-range shots. I mean, you see it, of course, more towards the end of matches where teams are getting desperate and maybe not trying to still create something that's a much more clear cut. But it has been a trend in football for sure that long range shooting is becoming not exactly a thing of the past, but uh, less popular, shall we say. Mm. Another one, my last honorable mention on goal was, um, I think it's Cho Ji Sung for South Korea, his header, uh, the second goal for South Korea against Ghana in that same game, yeah, yeah. because he leapt so high. And I, I, enjoy, I, I enjoy a big leap on a header. It's very satisfying. So we'll go with that one. That can be thrown in there as well. Yeah, there was also the, the second Saudi goal that was the winner against Argentina oh, yeah. was a good. lovely yeah, strike. I think yeah. uh, El Darsawi or something, um, I think is his name. Um, but yeah, there has been some crackers over there. And the Japan goal yesterday against Spain was a lovely strike. And out the blue. Uh, Paul like, Keeping, again. Oh, yeah, the hair saves, that, saves that. David the hair De Gea would have saved that. You know, that has been a pre- pre-tournament controversy that De Gea is not even picked in three keepers for Spain. And I think he even... The other goal that went in, maybe he could have done better for it, Simon. Mm. Uh, I think. Um, I think. I don't, I, th- I don't think he's a better keeper than Raya or Sanchez on their bench. I would put. I put either of them ahead of him. So I don't know whether he'll probably keep his place because it's not really like teams to switch their keepers after just one game. But um, I, th- I would. Yeah, Sanchez or Raya didn't handled that better. I think. And yeah, funnily enough, I feel like you know two players we know from the Premier League. We talk about who's gonna replace David De Gea going forward but no they've not been given the shot here to see what they can do uh, but yeah you know we talked about Man United having a great World Cup but Brighton Brighton are having a brilliant World Cup we saw a goal from McAllister uh, several of their other players Caicedo as well scored for Ecuador but yeah kind of, so I was kind of looking at the list and there's obviously the usual suspects Manchester United uh, PSG Barcelona off which club Chelsea all of a sudden have had quite a few goals in this round of games but yeah Brighton had appeared in there at the bottom mm. so just see how well they've done in the transfer I think basically Brazil if Brazil win the World Cup, then United will win the World Cup because we've got like three or four players. We got four. If you, can, if you include Tellers, we've got four players. Where if England do, then City will because England City have uh, five players in the England squad. Where we've got three, so it's uh, they're ahead of us. So we we kind of need to. We need Brazil to win, but you know. Yeah, but it's not just about being in the squad. It's actually playing and delivering as well. I'm That's talking true. about players that have actually scored, assisted. Uh, I know that kind of semi ignores the defenders who are doing well as well. But yeah, talking just the table based on goals and assists uh we will take one more break before we come back with part three of the show round off what's going on in the world cup a little bit of manchester united and come back for that welcome back to the last part of our show and as i say this is the second kind of world cup show we are doing the last round of group games will take place today later on we will come back and try and do the next show i'm not sure exactly when Probably after England have played. Yeah, probably after the the last 16. There is actually one, one subject on the World Cup that I want to ask you about, actually. How do you feel like the officiating has been? There's been a lot of talk about VAR, especially, and a lot of... I'm going to say odd, but odd maybe not be the right word, but controversial. Controversial decisions, and we had the new automated offside. How do, how do you think it's gone? I don't think it's been great, but I don't think it's been any worse than we see in the Premier League every week either. I mean, every week in the Premier League, we have VAR controversy. I'd say there was definitely a few dodgy penalties that have still been given. I mean, I'm thinking about Ronaldo and there was a couple of others as well. I know there was a lot, a lot of talk about this Japan goal last night. And I just think way too much talk because after you see some of the VIR stuff, uh, it's pretty clear that that ball was still in. Uh, I think some people don't actually understand the rules of football. Like one of these things that, because there's pictures that are shown of that ball where it's true that the bottom of the ball is out the pitch and there's green kind of grass between the white line and the ball. 
But that's not how you decide whether something is in or out. It's the same if a ball has gone over the line for a goal. It's from a bird's eye view, looking above, including the curvature and overhang mm. of the ball. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. Actually, there was like a bit of a discussion with a Spanish friend of mine that we play football with in one of our WhatsApp groups. And he wasn't having that this was a goal at all, basically. He was not impressed by it. And we were trying to explain to him, listen, these are the rules of football. And he was saying, look, there's green grass there. Said, yeah, look, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not the way it works. It is interesting. And you are completely 100% right. But it's interesting because the, the rules of football were obviously made at a time when people were meant to spot these things with a naked eye. You meant to spot whether the ball is out by your naked eye. You meant to see offside within it. You meant to do all this just by looking at the things. And now we're coming to the point where actually we're going to use technology and uh, virtual reality and recreations to to spot these mistakes. We're going we're gonna to spot whether the ball is over the line, not because we can see it with our eye, but because we can actually zoom in with a camera that's on top of it and see that it's actually in. And It's interesting because like in a normal time, if in a normal non-VAR time, if the referee said that ball's gone out, we would all be like, it, yeah, fair enough. You know what? You can see why the referee's made that decision. Like, it might technically have been in, but fair enough. But now we get to the point where the decision has to be the correct one because they have all the tools to make the correct decision. Um, and that's where, obviously, then things like the Ronaldo penalty, that the, the Messi penalty, actually, where Chesney, like, brushed his face. And you get those given as penalties, and people think, well, how can you give that as a penalty when you can go look? Well, even in both of those as well, they were called up. Well, actually, no, the Ronaldo one was given by the ref. But the, the Chesney one on Messi was actually the VAR called the referee over. So that one, you're just thinking, why, why are you getting involved? Why are you getting, when you have the technology? And to be fair, I'm, I, I am all for, and I've said this on the pod, I'm all for, actually, I'm all for getting rid of clear and obvious and whatever. I'm all for like VAR thinking, actually, I think that's a penalty. Go look at it. But then I think it has to therefore be that the referee has to say, actually, I don't think that's a penalty at all. I'm going to stick with my decision, uh, as opposed to going over and say, "Well, I agree with you, Mister Varman." Um, and then, but then you also get problems like so. There was a Croatia-Belgium game yesterday with the offside; it was very tight. Um, but we have now this semi-automated offside rule that tells you exactly when someone's offside, and it cannot debate. FIFA say it's 100 percent accurate, so we have to believe them. 100 percent accurate, you can't debate it. But then you have the issue of uh, moral offsides, whereas like. Should someone be offside because their slight their slight arm is slightly ahead of someone's arm, and then that's not what offside was made for, whatever. But then you got Jermaine Gina saying, "Why is the referee going over to the the monitor? Why is he doing this?" Like, well, because because that's the rules, Jermaine. Like, you're a commentator, you should know these things. So that that pissed me off. Um, so basically, what I'm saying is, bah, not great. We're in we're in basically a world where we are trying to catch up with the rules coming into a time where technology exists, and I think. Over the next few years, we'll see things. I think I, I do think the offside rule will change somehow. Um, yeah, well, I think, I think Arsene Wenger wasn't it who talked about saying, "Look, I think we have to talk about there being daylight between players no, rather than." Yeah, that's choose. absolute nonsense. Then because like they could be someone could be very, very much gaining an advantage by being well ahead of the event. The, the, I mean, I actually quite like how the Premier League are doing at the moment. You've noticed there's been very less offside controversy in the Premier League this season because they have these thicker lines, and if the lines touch, uh, then. They don't give it. And I think actually it's kind of worked. You've, you see this season, there's not been many offside controversies. The controversies have all come from penalty decisions and stuff like that. And people say, oh, but so when you say, that's why I always think there should be a threshold. There should be a threshold of a couple of like maybe a centimeter or uh, 20 centimeters or whatever. And people say, oh, but then what if you're 20.1 centimeters offside? And I say, well, that's, that's, then you're offside then. But at least then you can actually probably physically see with your eye, okay, that guy's offside if it comes to that. So I do think there should be a threshold. And I think the argument that the threshold just moves it further is a nonsense argument. That's my take anyway. There you go. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, but as I say, there has been a lot of poor officiating, but I don't think it's any worse than we see in the Premier League. I agree with that. We see terrible decisions all the time. So it's par for the course. And yeah, shout out to our female referees. First World Cup ever where we've got female referees and assistant referees in there. And I don't think they've done any worse job than any of the blokes have either. Uh, so yeah, it's been good to see. Just to say, actually, while we're recording... Uh, the team sheets have just come out for the Portugal's group. Bruno, who we've shouted out as player of the tournament, is sitting on the bench. Yeah, he'll be rested, won't he? Because but are they, are they are they top of the group for they're sure? Top of the through and definitely through. Um, All right, okay, fair but, enough. I didn't know they were definitely top, but yeah. Well, fair the only enough. team that can um, match the Magana, um, but they'd have and to make three a... goal different. They're three goals behind on yeah, goal exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it would be it'd be a quite a turnaround if Ghana right. could. 
And the so, same yeah. with Brazil and Switzerland as well. Brazil have a three-goal goal difference on Switzerland as well, so it's then most likely top of the group as well. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Bruno is rested. Dallo is starting for the first game on the right side and Cancelo on the left. I think it's something you actually said they could be doing that in the last podcast. I think you said the other way around. Maybe Dallo can play on the left. And Well, we let's see. When the game starts, we don't know who's on which side. And Palestri has started for Uruguay. Uh, it's actually the second out of three matches that he's starting for Uruguay. Uh, he even came on and did all right in the middle game. Like I said, it is a weird one to see a player start for a relatively big country in the World Cup, but doesn't get any minutes or anywhere near the team for us. Uh, but yeah, maybe it's going to be one to put him in the shop window. I think now on the right side with uh, Anthony over there and also Diallo, we have to say, Armand Diallo is having a good season on loan at Sunderland. I was just saying, yeah, maybe it's a good opportunity for us to cash in oh. on Palestri in this window, seeing as he's in the shop window at this World Cup. Again, but is he really in the shop window? He's played a few games, but I don't think he's he's done anything that would particularly make anyone think, oh, I need to buy that guy. Um, I just think that like seeing a player who's getting regular game time in the yeah, World but Cup I mean, for how a much country you... as big as Uruguay. So we bought him for, what, 12 million? Not much. And yeah, 10, I would say... 10, 12? That... So how much would you actually want to get? How much you get from 20? I guess, yeah. yeah time definitely. to cash in maybe, yeah. You know, if somebody's playing for Uruguay at the World Cup, minimum 20 million. Listen, I'm... You do not have to convince me to sell youngsters. I am all for selling youngsters. Don't, unless they're Ganacho, you can sell every single youngster at the club. <laughs> if you're going to get like 20, 30 million for them, then yeah, sell them. And then we'll just get them back, get it back later. That's why I was, I, James Garner, come on. Looks like a good deal for us. No, I actually, yeah. And he's not had much game time for Everton at all, actually. In fact, the two we sold in the summer when Garner left and uh, Andreas Pereira you never would have picked that Pereira was going to have a big, big season for Fulham. Goals, assists, playing every single game. And that Jimmy Garner's not got barely off the bench for most of the season so far. So, yeah, their two kind of trajectories after leaving us has been interesting to watch. I mean, I'm always a bit more reluctant to get rid of pure academy players, but I don't really put Palestri in that bracket. I think he was more just like a young signing for us. So, yeah, I wouldn't call him an academy player. Um, but look, just to round off this podcast, uh, shout out for Man United women who are playing at Old Trafford for the first time this season on Saturday. That is a lunchtime kickoff. Uh, I think 36,000 tickets have already been sold for that. Uh, still for sale. It's only six quid for adults and three quid for children to go to Old Trafford, which like even just to go to the stadium, if you have no interest in women's football, I'd say is worth going to have a look over there. Um, uh, we will also have a friendly. We're off to Cadiz a week on, it's on Wednesday the 7th. We will play Cadiz. Uh, I think that game will also be televised on MUTV. So we'll see who goes out in the Spanish squad over there. It'll be a lot of our youth players. The players are doing pretty well in the Papa John's trophy over there. Uh, names people will know will be like Shoratire, Mainu, a couple of other names, Savage. Um, maybe Iqbal will go out as well over there and get involved. So, yeah, let's see how the youth team are doing. And, yeah, the next round of the Papa John's trophy, they've been drawn against Bolton. Uh, that will come before our kind of senior team kickoff again. Um, apart from that, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors, footballprizes.co.uk. Thank you to them. Head over to their website, use the code UH10, and you will get a discount off any of your tickets. They always have some pretty cool signed shirts on. Obviously, there's a kind of World Cup um, focus for them at the moment. But yeah, it's not only football stuff. They do have like boxing memorabilia, film stuff, or some stuff, Christian Bale, um, a few others over there, Michael J. Fox as well, signed kind of thing. So yeah, go and check out over there, footballprizes.co.uk and see what you find. Unless you have anything else, I've forgotten Imran. I think that's us signing out for now. No, that's good. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to United Hour. Remember to follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at United underscore hour. Please take the time to leave a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. United Hour is brought to you by the Sports Social Network and our theme song is by Ancient Feelings. To get in touch, please email unitedhour at gmail.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.